Cast. What's going on, everybody? Let's go ahead and jump into it. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Give me the bridge now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another amazing episode of Ringside with Ray and Prince. Today, we actually have a real rock star. Mm. We have Aaron Ellis in the house today. Mm. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here, guys. So, so Aaron, Aaron started off his, his career at, at a very early age as a musician, producer, uh, you know, playing in, in, in clubs as early as 13, 14, 15. We're going to let him tell about his, his, whole, his whole story. But, you know, he has an amazing story. We're super excited to have him here, the alchemist of inspiration. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. We won't, we won't start from diapers, but we're going to start early on. We're actually going to start from diapers, actually, because I was thinking about <laughs> The reason being is, is if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that I was singing full songs before I was a year old, before I was speaking full sentences. So I would sing myself to sleep in my crib, right? So music is where I always resonated to. We won't go down this rabbit hole, but I was diagnosed autistic as a child, so I'm high-functioning autistic. With that, music was my refuge, what I dove into. I started playing piano, guitar very young. I was playing professional at 11, signed to 15, and basically did that for, did music solely for a good 25 years, as well as, well as songwriting, not just touring, but songwriting over multiple different genres uh, until I decided I wanted to have a family. So a good 25, 30 years of my life was all music. I still do music. I'm still a rock star, even though the hair's not as long, you know, but, and I'm, and I'm not jet setting all over the world for 20 months at a time, but yeah. So tell me where the inspiration was with, with you in, in the music space. Uh, you know, some people just born with it. But most parents say, here, I, you want to be an athlete or a musician or an actor, find a real job first. So how did, how did you have parents that supported you to actually so, go in and, and find your passion? It's kind of a funny story. My parents, my mother was a developmental psychologist professor. My dad was also a teacher when I was young, but he went back to school. So they were very much about education. And music was always more of a hobby. They wanted it to be, right, a hobby. But it was really all I wanted to do. Like, I didn't want to play outside. I wanted to listen to music. I didn't want to do anything but music. It's what, like I said, it was kind of my refuge. So they encouraged it to a degree until I skipped school one day and drove down to L.A. with my band you know, at 13 years old, right? And where our son goes. So from there on, it began, you know, me having pagers and big fat Motorola cell phones and stuff like that. So they'd hold me. But they really encouraged me to be who I was. Uh, I think that kind of backfired on them when I started doing it at a very high level at a very young age. But as far as inspiration, it just literally, it just was, it's part of me. It was just something I resonated with, you know, and, and when I think about like the, the first artists that I really resonated towards my brother and sister, are four or five years older than me. So I was listening to bands like journey in Boston. Uh, and then got into some heavier rock bands like the scorpions and stuff like that. And that's really what, like I always say the scorpions what is what got my hair growing was that band. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just part of me since I was a very young age, it was just the natural thing that I wanted to do. Right. And it was never, I always, I always say, which just kind of sounds weird. Like I never have aspired to do anything. I just did it. I get this, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to go do it. It wasn't a day one day if only. It wasn't like I dreamed of being a rock star or a musician. I just was. And I just did it. You know? 
it, 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 it was a different time. You, you brought up the pagers and, and the Motorola two way and, and back and forth. Back and forth okay. Right. So so you folks that are listening that are of a different generation understand we just couldn't communicate like right off the top. We had to page each other. We had to go to what they call uh, pay phones and go and call somebody back. So you at 13, 14, 15, going to uh, clubs and playing with your band in Los Angeles and other places. What was that like for your parents? You talk about your parents being educators, right? So what was that like for them? It's like, all right, yeah, I got to text my son and see if he calls me back. <laughs> it was it was pretty tough. You know, I really didn't resonate with school. You know, I dropped out of high school when I was 15 years old. And for years, it was like, oh, you dropped out of high school. Nowadays, it's like, oh, of course you dropped out of high school. You know, it's like become the, of course you did, right? But them being educators, it was tough. They didn't, they didn't like that aspect of me at all, like when it comes down to it, right? They pushed. Then, you know, they were doing the best they could. The, I think the coolest thing, though, was years later, uh, probably, I don't know, 15 years in and stuff, my dad pulled me aside and said, I wish I'd lived life the way you had. And I always say, Dad, do it now. You know, every time he brings it up, I'm like, do it now. But he, you know, they were just trying to do the best they could as parents and kind of keep me reined in. And, you know, in the industry, there's a lot. I never got into drinking or drugs, even though there was a buffet in front of me from a very young age. But they constantly were afraid of that as well. Right. So it, it never really happened. But, yeah, they really wanted me to stay in school. They really were not fond of me. You know, they, you know, we grew up in that generation. We all did where it's like, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, you get a job, all that kind of stuff. And I was like, no, I just want to play music. Right. So it was tough. It was tough, but they've come around now. Obviously they came around probably 10 years in, I would say when it really just kind of sunk in, like, this is what he's meant to do. Man, that, that's, that's incredible. I, I, I love to hear that story. You know, people fall victim to their surroundings and, and it seems like you were diligent and disciplined, you know, to stay focused on your desires that you had within, you know, like, where did that come from? Did your parents foster that? Did, did they say, hey, um, you know, when you, when it comes to making a, a decision, go with your gut feeling? Like, how did you how did you create that human behavior to where, you know, there's a buffet of drugs right there, but you're like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not me. Um, I, and you never tried it before, but it's there. And right. Uh, I've, mm -hmm. I've been in situations where things are just sitting right there and you either say yes or you either say no. So um, what about for you to have that and to, to say, you know what, that's not what I want to do. I want to play music and I want to stick to that. And I, that's, you know, I want to be the best musician I can be. You know, it's interesting for me. It's just a way of being. But when I when I intellectualize it, when people ask me the question, I intellectualize it. Things arise and like, you know, I would see friends and just to get graphic, you know, in pools of vomit and urine. I'm like, I don't want to be in a pool of vomit and urine. So, you know, there's intellectual reasons like that. But I also really loved life. I didn't want to numb myself, you know, and I've, I've known a lot of friends. I've lost a lot of friends to drug and alcohol addiction. I've lost a lot of friends to suicide paired with drug and alcohol addiction in the music industry. But for me, it's just, I just loved my life and I really didn't want to numb it. And I've always had a very strong intuition. My parents called it a strong will, but I've always kind of had this strong knowing. And part of that is actually, if you study autism, it's part of autism. I'm very energetic. I feel energy and I would just be doing things. And so people would say, you can't do that. And I would just be trucking along and go, did they tell me I can't do that? 
They just watched me do that. Why would they say I can't do it? I just did it. That's kind of silly. And I just keep going about my day, right? I didn't, because my brain was so literal, I didn't take it as like, you shouldn't do that or you're not allowed to do that. I took it as the word can't. I'm like, but I am capable. I just did it. So it didn't really stop me, right? But I literally have always just loved life. And I think one of the, one of the things that I could say that shaped me, though, as a musician as well, and this goes back to some of the crazy things. So I know we have kids. Like I have a 16-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 3-year-old. So and any parents listening, yes, I would not want my kids doing some of the things that I did. It would probably freak me out. But the day Van Halen 1984 came out in January, I was 9 years old. And I decided I needed to own that album the day it came out. So during recess, I hopped the fence, and I got on the public bus, and I went to the music store and bought Van Halen 1984. Right. So literally a nine year old kid picture our kids like I'm like, if my daughter did that, I kind of go nuts. But I met a gentleman that day who was probably my first interaction with like a true rock star. That just that energy of like, who is this guy? Like he, he was wearing a fur coat and just had crazy colored hair and like nails painted, you know, and stuff I'm like, who is this guy? And he was a gentleman named Andrew Wood. And I bring that up because. In 1991, when I was about 15, 16 years old, he passed away from drug addiction. So he was one of the people that I really looked, you could say I looked up to in music. I'm like, this guy's amazing. He just didn't care what people thought. He just did what he wanted to do. And he probably would have been one of the largest musicians. I grew up in Seattle. He would have been probably one of the biggest musicians in Seattle if he hadn't passed away. And that really launched me into my songwriting career and everything. So I know that it ties to the question you asked about the drug addictions and stuff. Like there was things that really shaped my younger years where I lost somebody who meant the world to me, you know, who I met in a record store who gave me a cassette tape of his music. It wasn't called Mother Love Bone then, but the band became a band called Mother Love Bone out of Seattle before he passed away. So that really synced me in the Seattle scene with the music industry there and in some of my songwriting and stuff. So it's, Probably one of the things I always say is there's reasons for everything, but everything doesn't happen for a reason. So what I mean is there's probably multiple reasons that we come up with intellectually why I didn't resonate to drugs and alcohol and stuff. Uh, but ultimately, I just didn't want it. I didn't feel led to. That's interesting you say that because because there there's moments in people's lives that you know I, I've seen you know having the moments in my lives of seeing my uncles and aunts being drug addicted and having all those things in, in front of me and saying, uh, I didn't want to be that. Right. But there was also the space for me. The first time I heard Grandmaster Fast and, and the Furious Five do the message that was for me, like music. I was like, damn, this is dope as hell. <laughs> I was like, I, I love this. I love this. I want to, I want to be involved in this. I want to hear this energy that was like a game changer for me to actually just listen to the lyrics and the percussions and how things are done. Like you said, Van Halen, that, that, that was a thing for, for you, but was, was there anything before then or, or after that that came, you know, that kind of musical inspiration where you were like, man, music is, is everything. So I was really into the, what's called the hair bands, like the long hair, the eighties music. Yeah, stuff. White snake. Yeah, well, I think like, you know, I, I, my first writing credits were with a band called Rat, which is a, was an 80s band back then as well. Uh, and I was really, even though I was in the Seattle music, right, I was in Seattle, I was more into those 80s hair bands. And I bring up the Scorpions. That band was really one of the bands that really shaped me. The first songs I ever learned how to play on guitar were Scorpion songs. Um, but again, Journey, too, vocally, I love to sing. Probably my favorite thing to do is sing. I started out playing guitar, but 
journey. Steve Perry really, really influenced me as far as singing goes. Uh, but yeah, I, I resonated more towards that arena style rock, that happy party kind of rock music and stuff. Yeah. So it's always been just a natural talent for me. I've never had any lessons or anything. I've never really studied music theory. In fact, like when I go in the studio and I bring a session players to play what I've written, they're like, what yeah. chord are you playing? I'm like, I'm playing this chord. And I show them the chord. I'm like, oh, that's a C augmented bow. I'm like, sure, sounds good. I'm like, how'd you figure that out? I'm like, I just moved my fingers around until I like the way it sounded. So I know the basic chords, the basic structures and stuff. And you could probably say I learned how to play some of my favorite songs and that, that contributed to my writing. But it's just been something that's natural for me as far as just hearing the music, hearing the melodies, the lyrics kind of just download into me and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's always been just a natural flow state for me, like a, being in the zone, right? Like, I can't really explain it. It's just, like, comes through me. Mm. You just yeah. channel. You, you, you are the channeler. And yeah, yeah. the conduit, and you channel everything that comes through you. I love it. Now I understand why school wasn't for you. You know, you didn't want to be institutionalized. You, <laughs> you, you were more so, like, I have this creativity within me and this ability, and I need to display it and show it to everyone. And that's how I was. That's how I grew up. You know, I wanted to play, do everything from the heart because – I felt that I can get a get a lot done with just using my heart as opposed to trying to go and study it and and figure out, you know, this is the, the se sequential order to do things like I didn't need all of that. I just knew that just insert me and I'll, I'll do the rest and I'll make magic happen yeah. and see that you had that same that same gift, man. And I, I love that. So um, you're, you're, you're doing songwriting. So we advance. Um, so you go from 13, 15, 16, you were, inter you, you were the temptations all around. Like when did you feel that you had caught your flow state and you knew that, um, you were a, a musician on the rise and, and you were feeling, you were feeling like, man, I can do this forever. I, I'm going to just tell you what's top of mind, what arises. I I think the moment where I really just realized like it all kind of hit me was remember I brought up this band called the Scorpions. They really like really super influenced me. And I really, really love those guys, but I played red square. with them, And I remember looking out at this giant crowd in red square and rushing on what the heck, like how did this happen? Like it kind of hit me like, this is beautiful. Like This is amazing. Right. And, and those guys like have, they still influence me, you know? And then I remember then with them, after that show, I remember doing a show in LA and running into them. And one of the guitar player, a guy named Rudolf Shanker, saying, What are you doing? I said, Oh, I got a benefit show. He's like, Can I play? And I'm like, You want to play with me? You want to play my music? <laughs> He's like, Yeah. And I remember he literally came to that show and I couldn't keep my eyes off him. I'm sitting there, he's side stage, and I wanted to watch him play my music the whole time, right? So it's just, it's just kind of, I, when you ask me that question, that arose, that show, looking out at that, that, that crowd of these people that just, appreciate music, you know, a crowd you can't see the back of, but for some reason, everybody's there. You know, there's every type of person there, you know, they disagree on so many different things, but all of a sudden they're all unified right there for the same reason, enjoying things and, you know, together. And I was like, this is it. I gotta, you know, I'm going to keep doing this no matter what. Right. And I still do that. No matter what I do, I, I'm still doing the same thing. I love to inspire people regardless so yeah, that's that's what comes to mind when you ask me that. Oh, hey, when you speak my language, when you say I love to inspire people, um, yeah. I, I I share with everyone you 
we we have a gift and we can once we tap into our inner spirit we can use our inner spirit to inspire others yes. right and so and and that's what allows for us to um, get into the flow state to influence people to make them uh, live through their heart and not so much to their mind you know I think think we're living in a more of a cerebral uh, society now I don't want to get too political but um, we need to we need to open up our heart chakra and I, as I can see you have the throat chakra tattooed yeah. on your throat man and I'm I'm digging that I'm just like <laughs> yeah, this dude is open so I I know we were here to talk about your 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 music career but. I want to tap into the spirituality um, it, part, yeah. part, you know, part of it. So, um, so while playing music, you found a flow state and a flow <laughs> space. And, um, it, but I, I, when I, when I had to do some research in your background, it seemed like you tapped into some spirituality. How did that, how did that journey come about? And when did you get involved in that? Sure. So like I said, from a very young age, I kind of just understood the way life worked. I understood connection. I didn't see separation in things. And I, that's part of music, too. I can just kind of see the flow of everything and see just and I do this in business now, too. And I, I can just see everything. And I find joy. I'm in joy helping people see it. Right. And to me, there's no good, bad, right or wrong from the vantage point I am at. So what I mean by that is, is when I'm helping somebody see something, they could be here, right? They could be in the vantage point. I could be back here. They're right. And I can see that they're right. And even as I help them expand back here, I remind them, you are still right. It's still right from this perspective. And back to your question. So I think what synchronicity, obviously I see synchronicity everywhere in my life. And that's a big part of spirituality, which I'm sure you understand. But I decided to go to Maui one day. Maui used to be my favorite place to go. It's kind of my go-to. And I just... I ended up having a chance meeting with a gentleman named Wayne Dyer and he's an author, right? Who's no longer with us, at least not in form. And that relationship ended up being about a 10 year relationship till he passed. It was about 10 years before he passed. So we got to know each other very well. And I, he had a condo at Conopoli Alley and I would go stay at the Westin. And I, I, there was one year I went 13 times that year, just to hang out with him and another gentleman named Rob Doss. And Wayne really helped me, intellectualize and articulate what I already knew. Like I talked about the connection in life and like, I've always just got stuff and I'm like, how come people don't get this? It's so simple. Now, part of that you could say is due to the autism and the way my brain works, but it could be other things. Remember I said, it's not just one reason. And I'm, I have no identity in any of it. So some people are like, oh, it's because you're autistic. Like, sure. Sounds good. Oh, it's because of this. I'm like, sure. Sounds good. It could be that. Right. I don't have an identity. Well, I, I'll say it's because you wasn't institutionalized. There we go. There you go. There you go. That's <laughs> he really helped me. And I remember having this talk with him once where he was like, he had written a book like 10 steps to something or six steps to this. I'm like, wait, there's so many more than 10, so many more than six. Why are you saying 10 or six? And because my brain wouldn't do it. It was letters like, Aaron, you have to meet people where they're at. You have to start somewhere with them. Right. And so he sat there. I'm going to share this because this was really powerful. He sat there with me talking to me like, about what I love to do and how I love to pe help people. And I really love to help people find who they are within by finding out who they are without, right? Finding all the false identities. And I never was able to like articulate things like what's your methodology and acronyms and all these things. Cause I, you know, I was walking around with a dictionary and a thesaurus and a book of idioms just to understand people from my mom, right? So he, he sat there talking to me one day and he's like, Aaron, let me tell you, love to help people when they're struggling, right? Like find someone who's struggling. What do you do? And I'm like, 
She's like, what's the first thing you do? I'm like, I, I just tell them to stop, stop what they're doing. Right. And, and he's like, okay, so you, they're struggling. You tell them to stop. Like, well, what do you do next? I'm like, well, I tell them to like, take a look at their thoughts, take a look at what's going on. Right. What's going on. Take a look at what you're, what's going on. Right. And then he's like, well, when I'm like, well, right now, there's only the now. So right now I tell him to stop and take a look around right now. Right. And he's like, how do you have them look? Cause I talk about how we show them flow through things. I'm like, well, obviously unconditionally. And he's like, what else? And I'm like, well, with grace, gratitude, you know, with love. And like, and then what do you do? And I'm like, I tell them to embrace it rather than run from it. And he's like, tell me that again. And I tell you what again. And he's like, Sam, it's me the same question. So this is going to choke me up because this was, was, this was when my brain kind of clicked for how I could help you. And he said, tell me again. I said, well, I have not stop. And then he's like, what? And I said, well, I take, take a look at their thoughts, right? So, and then he did the rest. So all five years, like he said, so you have them stop. S, he said, yeah. And then take a look at their thoughts. T, yeah. When, right now, R, how, unconditionally, you, how else? With grace, G, gratitude, G, L, love, L. And then do what? Embrace it. And he's like, you just spelled the word struggle. And I created my first acronym with Wayne Dyer coaching me through it for the word struggle. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. He saw that. He saw that I had this natural flow of doing things, but I didn't put it together. That's one of my biggest, like, that was one of my biggest moments of Satori or an aha moment, right? Where things just kind of zoom, all the pieces of the puzzle came together. And I'm like, oh, I can help people. I can articulate. I could come up with 10 steps, even though there's more than 10. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? So I would say to your question directly, that's really, that was, you know, back in, I don't know, 20 something years ago. It seems now. That was my original really deep dive into spirituality was through him and then also through Eckhart Tolle. And then I ended up doing a lot of work with Louise Hay as well, uh, doing healing and mind body connection and whatnot. So, it's just something I naturally resonated to. And, but I bring that thing up about Wayne because he really helped me like, like literally connect the dots. It was, it was a fascinating exercise where he literally realized I was spelling the word struggle and I had no idea I was spelling the word struggle. Well, everybody doesn't get to connect with some of these titans of industry that you, that you've had, uh, you know, to, to connect with and work with. And so you talk about Wayne Dyer, but you also had a mentor, uh, and, and Paul Allen, one oh, of yes. the, you know, uh, wealthiest guys in the world, also, you know, one of these, the smartest people on earth. And what was that like? And how did you connect with Paul? Yeah, so Paul, I had no idea he was the co-founder of Microsoft for probably the first decade I know. Okay, he was a guy who had a really cool house in Seattle. He played guitar in his own right; was a great guitar player. He invited all the Seattle music musicians over to his house for Christmas parties. We'd all jam, you know, and stuff on the stage. And and I'm I'm here in Miami, and I remember pulling up in Miami on his his yacht, the Octopus, multiple times, which he had. A music studio on there and stage and stuff like that. So I didn't know the mic. Yeah, his job was like a hundred feet. Like he had a massive, massive yacht. Yeah, like one hundred and sixty feet long or something. Some crazy. It was a cruise ship. It was literally a cruise ship. But the beauty of it was, was that he toured with a band just so he could jam every night. So he was a really good guitar player. So what happened was, is we, you know, he would have these parties at his house, and because I didn't drink, usually around eleven o'clock at night, when people are kind of you know, in their, in their drinking zone, I would resonate towards his kitchen area, which was millionaires and billionaires 
talking business. And here I am with leather jacket and long hair, right? Listening. So I'm listening to all these business things and asking questions and stuff. And I've always had this ability just to go into any crowd. Like literally in school, I could sit down with like, you know, who, who knows what they were called in your, your guys' schools, but the preps and the jocks, and, you know what I mean? I could sit down with any of them and get along with any of them. So that's how I originally met him was through that, through those parties. Now, he also tried to mentor me for years. Uh, and I say tried to because he officially mentored me for a year leading up to his death. But for example, when I signed to Warner Brothers, um, he suggested rather than basically spending money on hours at a studio that I take that development money and create my own studio. So he helped me set up my own studio in Beverly Hills that would become a studio like that was a business that would, you know, I'd bring other artists in. When I'm on the road now, I have this business rather than just paying hours to a studio. So then we uh, recorded an artist that he wanted to record there. And I also, I also got to introduce him to the players of the Rolling Stones there and stuff. And so I started to learn about the Microsoft aspect later on in life. And he came to me and this is really interesting about limitations. And I think it's a really, really good point to make when people think about their limitations. He came to me Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't remember the year, I guess, 16, 17, 18, something the year before he passed. Um, and he said, Aaron, I want to work with you officially. I'm like, okay, well, what are you talking about? And he, he, his first question to me was like, how much money do you have left from your Warner brothers deal? And I'm like, you mean directly from my Warner Brothers deal? <laughs> and I'm like, and like, he's like, well, if you would, he wrote on a napkin. I still have this napkin. I framed it and stuff. And he wrote on a napkin. If I would have given, this was 10 years prior. If I would have given him $100,000 or not given it, but in, invested it the way that he was wanting me to invest it. He wrote it out on paper. I still don't fully understand what he wrote out on the napkin. It would have been $10 million that day from a $100,000 investment. So that's when I started to listen. I'm like, okay. And he said, Aaron, you have two limitations in life. You have two weaknesses. You have, I'm like, okay, what are they, right? And he said, every time I try to talk to you about investing, you say, I'd rather have experience than money in the bank, and I can always make more money. So those aren't, when you think of limitations, you think usually people go to negative things. But ultimately, those were things that allowed me to live the lifestyle that most might, most people dreamed of, travel anywhere, drive whatever car I wanted, right? So those things that were very empowering to me in my life, the way he explained it, they had become my ceiling. And I hadn't, wasn't able to break through them. So for, the net, for that next year, he helped me walk through that and educated me on financial literacy. And just, you can call them business laws, spiritual laws, natural laws. They're basically all the same thing, depending on the words you use. And, um, that's yeah that's the that's paul allen in a nutshell so there's a lot more through the years he's very intertwined with my family and stuff my you know my father was the first retailer of apple computers in washington state my brother-in-law is still the uh head of human resources for the seahawks for 23 years like he's really been helpful for my entire family right not just me but he's just like i'm i miss that guy i miss him and wayne they were my like those were the two people who probably had the biggest impact on me in my life, spiritually, musically, everything. And, you know, financially, everything. Visually, all the above, you know, yeah. just, just everything. It's, there are people that you meet in your life uh, where you value those relationships and you say everything that they've said to me, I'm going to take it and I'm going to apply it. 
because I know it's going to allow for me to expand um, from a conscious standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint. So that's amazing that you have these these mentees, uh, mentors uh, to men mentor you. And um, that's something that we value a lot. Uh, speaking of value, uh, what what is the the one thing that you value the most in in life? The one thing I value the most in life, I say <laughs> authenticity in people. And what I mean by that is truly people who are understand how to just be and without an ego, right? Who literally just don't have an ex like they've worked through their external identities. And they're truly just showing up and being. They understand the truth of like when you be, when you focus on being, the doing takes care of itself. And I bring that up because that's probably when I'm most passionate about helping others achieve and helping others find within themselves. And remember is a better way to put it because we're all naturally that way before we're conditioned not to be. Right? Man, man, you know, and I mean, as as we as we close out this this uh, this conversation. Like we, we got to have a, a deeper depth conversation, but I, I want to ask you a couple more questions before, before we uh, get out of here is, uh, you know, how has your, um, you know, your life experiences and the people that you've been around, the mentors, all these folks uh, got uh, influenced your music, right? Because you, you, you flow through different genres. You don't just do rock and roll you can do various different places of music and, like I always say, music is like the song of your life. And what you listen to and how you're influenced is a big deal about how you you move in life. And so how has your experiences, I'm going to ask this in reverse, your experiences in life affected your music and what you're doing now and what you're playing now? Yeah. So I'll bring Paul, I'll bring Wayne in, I'll bring Eckhart Tolle in, I'll bring in all those people, the higher level people that I've worked with, like the, the titans that I've worked with. Part of it is me showing up and flowing authentically as myself, and they all accepted me. It wasn't weird that I was sitting there with long hair and a leather fringe jacket, a bunch of uh, you know, a bunch of suit and tie people, right? It was never, you know, every now and then people are like, "Who's this guy?" But it was more of a curiosity thing, not that I was out of place. And so when it comes to me, I, I this is just coming to me right now, Ray, when you ask me this, but I think that's really played a role in my ability to cross over different genres and write with any genre. I can sit down with anybody and there's no ego and judgment in me. So I can really go within them and figure out truly what they're wanting to communicate, connect to them on that deeper inner level where we're all the same, right? The, you know, the term namaste means the soul in me honors the soul in you. I meet you where we're both the same prior to gender, prior to color of skin, prior to traditions, prior to whether you like pineapple on pizza or not, it doesn't really matter. It's we're all the same. Right. And so I think because I was that way and I also was, you know, like attracts like I attracted those kind of mentors who also lived from that space to where there was just no judgment where we all just accepted each other. And now, yeah, sometimes we'd be walking down the street and it's like, how did those guys end up together? You know what I mean? It just didn't look right from one perspective, but then as people get to know me, it just, it all just made sense. So I think that's, that's something I, like the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. I am literally the same in the boardroom, on stage. Well, I do get a little crazy on stage. Um, people are surprised when they see me on stage. <laughs> but I talk to everybody the same exact way. 
right? There's no difference in the way I show up and flow through life or through communication or through anything. It's just completely from a space of zero judgment, complete acceptance. And I, what I would say, preference in life, you know, not judgment. I see everything from a level of preference. And that plays into towards everything I do. Like I, you'll see the term alchemist of inspiration. That was given to me a handful of years ago because I literally see everything as inspiring. And I had a friend say, you're like some kind of Jedi voodoo something. I'll come to you so upset, ready to get, kill somebody. And you'll be like, awesome. Tell me more. And he's like, you'll be so happy to hear about my pain. And all of a sudden, like, but it's because I see the beauty in life. I see the gifts there to be unwrapped, even if other people don't see them ready to be ready to unwrap them. Right. I've also been called the visionary's visionary. And that, I think that plays into the fact that I can go into different genres, go into any community and just immediately I'm accepted probably because I completely accept myself, but I completely accept everybody else. So the energy there, the essence, there's no, there's no energetic uh, resistance whatsoever. And I, somebody says, Aaron, it seems like you have no resistance in life. I'm like, I just meet all resistance with zero resistance. So I, I know, I know, you, like Prince is already thinking his head out here. Aaron, we're gonna have to have a part two, and, and you guys gonna talk mindfulness and, and about how to, how to overcome and, and, and be, you know, at peace with yourself and everything else. <laughs> but we, uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time for today. Um, we, you know, we thank you for being on. We want to you know find out, you know, what's next for you and where can everybody find you. Sure. Basically, anywhere online, it's Aaron Ellis Official. So AaronEllisOfficial.com, but also social media is Aaron Ellis Official. I will have an album coming out next year called Awakening. It's a culmination of a bunch of songs that I wouldn't didn't want to sell uh, that were really heartfelt and personal and have to do with my journey to Awakening. That album's coming out, as well as I'll have a book coming out next year and stuff. And I'm going to be going to be hitting the stage in a big way probably again in the next couple of years. Well, you know, you know, Prince, Prince, and I try to sing sometimes. So, well, I mean, yeah. we, we, you know, we, if if you need some inspiration or you need somebody to do backgrounds on your album coming up, we all for it. We here for it. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely, and and I, I would love to love to do some work with you as well, man. Because yeah. I I've lived my my I've lived some time at a monastery as well after my football career was over, looking to find myself and go within. So I've been. And so the the space that you're in, the energy that you are sharing, I, I resonate with it at a very high level. So love to do some some work with you. So Please. Be amazing. I would be honored. I would love to. I'll be honored as well. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, you you just get, got gone through another amazing episode of Ringside with Ray and Prince. And we want to thank our guest, Aaron Ellis, the alchemist of inspiration, true rock star out here. Uh, you know, for, for being on and, and being open and honest with the audience. You know, that's what we want to give you a, a ringside seat up and close with people that you, that you may not have ever had a conversation with, uh, but people you need to know. So we thank you guys for joining again. Um, and as we always say at the end of our shows, peace and power. You got to give a lot just to get what you need sometimes, y'all. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. 
I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid.